Welcome back to you out there in podcast land. This is the third episode of this season of the VMP Anthology podcast, devoted, as you know by now, to the Miles Davis Electric Years box set that VMP recently put out. Uh, We hope you are still enjoying the box. Maybe you've made it all the way through by the time you're listening to this final podcast episode. Uh, We hope you like it as much as we loved making it. It's an astounding thing to be able to say, you know, hey, honey, guess what I did at work today? I I talked to people about Miles Davis and I put out a box set of his electric albums. It's still a surreal thing that we got to do this. So we hope that you guys out there are enjoying it. In this final episode, I talk with critic, writer, thinker, and one of my buddies from the internet who worked at VMP while we were setting this box set up, who now does not work at VMP full-time because he's off writing books and working for the New York Times. It's Marcus J. Moore, who stopped by the podcast to talk with me about how this box came together, because it was really Marcus reaching out directly to Vince to ask it coming together really quick. But then we get into uh, you know some some pretty deep thoughts about Miles Davis. Uh, we really play off this series that Marcus has been working on at the New York Times, where they identify five minutes for you to love a certain jazz artist. So you can hear his recommendation for the five best minutes of Miles Davis electric years. It was great to talk to Marcus. He's a co-executive producer on this box. And without him, I don't know that this one would have gotten out of the starting blocks. So it felt like a great place to end this series, this season of the podcast with Marcus talking about how this came together and what really drew him to pushing this project upwards at VMP. So without further ado, here's me and Marcus. I guess to start, like, how did we, how did we end up doing this project? Like, was it, it was from Vince sort of, right? Like he hit you up and yeah. 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 So, um, first of all, I got to give a shout to Clay, Clay Condor. Oh, that's right. Because when I was still there full time, he would slack and say, well, he slacked one time and he said, you know, what would be cool is a Miles Electric box set. Uh, so if we can make that happen, that'd be awesome. So I said, you know what, that is a good idea. And then I reached out. Um, and then I talked to Vince and Vince right away was like, absolutely, let's do it. You know, mm-hmm. oh, these are the titles. Cool. I'll put you in contact with the person who's actually going to make this happen. And uh, it was just like that. I mean, not to oversimplify, but honestly, it was probably from Clay's idea. I'll give him credit for that to it getting a green light like a week. <laughs> right. It was a shockingly quick uh, yeah. anthology process, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I think the only debate that really happened was, like, where do we start it and where do we stop it? Right? Yeah, totally. I think originally we had Water Babies sort of as an option, but then we're like, I don't know, does this actually fit? You know, and you yeah. were like, pull it. Pull water, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I also acknowledge that even though it came out during this electric period, it's not an electric record. Right. And so um, I think that was the rationale behind that. And also to your point, like you could easily say that his electric period was from 69 to 75. But once you 
start getting around to like 75, it started getting a little, I don't know, like you could you could easily put 10 albums in there. And so I think our rationale was you had to go back to uh, what were the essential electric. So with any of these anthologies, it's like, okay, cool. If this is Miles, where do you start with Miles Electric? And we were like, well, you got to have In a Silent Way, you got to have Bitches Brew, Jack Johnson, so on and so forth. And so I think that was our rationale by it. But I can also understand people who said like, well, what about the later records? Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's not to put any extra work, but who's to say that it can't happen? You know, that, that those records can't happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could almost make a box of just those Japanese live electric records, like the Agarda, the Dark yeah. Magus, like, you know, they're like, you start with Miles. I think it's like, there are the studio albums, but then if you start spiraling out, it's like, you know, every box from him could be 30 records <laughs> if you want it to be right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. And also when you get into those later records, you also have to acknowledge that just producing them alone are uh it's pretty tough because i mean some of those songs are like 30 minutes 35 minutes and so you could easily have one album that's like a triple album and you'll literally break the box so i think that also kind of spoke to it too where we're like okay we want to get this to people but we want to get it to them safely (laughs) and we don't want the box to break because then that'll be a whole situation as well so Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I forgot we had a lot of conversations about breaking the box. It was like, how many LPs will this be before we potentially like are sending people things that'll be damaged in the mail because it's too huge. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I don't know if, um, you know, I can't speak to what, what the response has been on your side, but at least on, on this side, it's been a lot of excitement around it. It's one of those things where everybody has these records but they don't have them all in one place. And there's never been a, an opportunity to buy them all in one stack without spending, what, 500 bucks, something like that. Right. To get actually good copies, like, you know, Big Fun will set you back like 75, 80 bucks, like a good copy of Big Oh, yeah, Fun. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess from your vantage, like, you know, if somebody asks you that isn't that well-versed in Miles, like, why is his electric period special? And why is it worth doing a box under on the electric period? Because I feel like it's just, to, to me, it's the best example of him shifting the course of jazz one more time. You know, when you look at his career, um, you can argue that he shifted the course of jazz at least three times, maybe mm-hmm. twice, maybe three times. And this time in particular is when um, he started getting into James Brown and Sly and the Family Stone and Jimi Hendrix and and people like that. And also I want to give credit to Betty Davis, um, mm-hmm. who actually got him out of the Italian suits and started putting him in um, you know, a little cooler refinery, cooler mm-hmm. finery. And so I, I feel like in turn the music was far more expansive and it let people know that you too can do something expansive and you don't have to stay within these parameters of jazz music. Because, mm-hmm. as you know, with Jazz Police, they don't want it to leave the, the 40s and the 50s. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that somebody like Miles, who was easily the biggest, who probably is the biggest jazz musician of all time, is like, no, forget about that. Yeah, that was successful, but I'm going to go over here. So I love how he always sort of refuted what jazz was supposed to be anyway. And with this in particular, he started blending funk and rock and 
uh, even a little bit of like uh, country to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's that's probably the biggest, um, ex- the best example I can give. But also at the same time, I appreciate how he would just kind of let the music go where it's supposed to go. And I've talked to different musicians, especially on uh, Bitches Brew, where he didn't come in there with any written music. It was fully improvised. Mm-hmm. And in turn, it showed other artists that they can do the same thing. So right after Bitches Brew comes out, you have Herbie Hancock doing what he does. You have different artists from like Strata East and Blue Note who decided that they weren't going to do traditional acoustic jazz anymore. They were going to do something that was a little more eccentric, even though critics didn't like it at the time. He decided to still go forward with it. So I feel like Miles Electric is a little more free than mm-hmm. his other periods, whereas, you know, you can look at the kind of blue era and that definitely opened up the door for improv. Um, but I feel like with electric, it was edgy in a way that's still sort of rippling the day. And mm-hmm. I, that's what I, think I appreciate the most. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's a, a testament to, you know, he's in his what late forties. Yeah. When he gets this point. Like, I mean, the fact that he hit the most daring work of his career 25 30 years into his career is like really inspiring because it's like the narrative is like if you don't make your debut album at 21 and it's not perfect it's like you're it's over right like but he's like in his he's almost 50 years old he's almost aarp age and he's pushing the the absolute boundaries of all music really because it's like it's not rock it's not jazz it's not it's like it's everything and he's like pushing this orb onwards in a way that like, yeah, like you said, it's still reverberating. Nobody has touched these records either in terms of like, you know, this guy has gone the furthest to the edge and nobody has gotten there with him yet. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Even uh, I think about a record um, that recently came out, the London Brew record. Even that wasn't a direct recreation. It was inspired. The music there was inspired by what Miles did 50 years ago. Yeah, and I think too, a thing that like, I've been thinking about a lot with these records is like when you read the reviews, cause you said like the critics didn't like it so much when they came out, but like what, what they wrote about these records were sort of what I hear in like later seventies fusion records where it's sort of like the watery, like thing, you know, like the, the George Benson, you know, like no shots yeah. to George, but like, you know what that is like, you know, you know, uh, and, and like, that's what people were hearing somehow in like, you know, you read some of the reviews of bitches brew where it's like, there's guitar and it sounds like this thing, you know, and you're like, what he did on this is so different than what people were like, there's too much rock and jazz, right? Like he got like basically convicted of, of putting too much rock and jazz in this really interesting way that would get like dumbed down over the seventies. Yeah, and, and that's what I, I appreciate about that era is because, you know, it doesn't, he was confounding critics and listeners in a way that I feel like we all need to be confounded, you know, where um, you can't really classify what's going on. I mean, even even like years later, we're still trying to figure out exactly what this is. Is it jazz? Is it rock? Is it funk? And I appreciate how he just kind of decided he was just going to go in this direction despite his popularity. And you're right. Like, I would read some of these reviews, and a lot of it was just a lot of hand-wringing because they didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to figure it out in real time. 
but it was music that you can't really figure out like in two days, three days, you know, it's music that mm-hmm. takes a long time to figure out. And I think in turn, a lot of critics were sort of uh, running him down because it wasn't what they expected. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of critics will do anyway. That Oh, it's not what I expected. So mm-hmm. I don't like it. It's not, it's not a good record. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's, that's not the case. It's, you don't know what this is. And quite frankly, you're, you're kind of in your feelings because you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think that's why they called him the Prince of Darkness, right? You know, he's like, okay, forget you guys. I'm, I'm going to still do whatever. And it's not unlike Coltrane, even though Coltrane's, even though when he uh, went into free jazz, it was still like acoustic, you know, mm-hmm. um, you still heard the drums, you still heard Elvin and all these, you still heard Eric Dolphy and all that. But with this, it was like, it was made for stadiums. It was made to be played alongside Hendrix and the Stones and all these people. And jazz heads couldn't deal with it because they're used to being in cramped clubs, you mm-hmm. know, in, in the Lower East Side or something like that. And they just, they couldn't deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Bitches Brew is, you know, behind kind of blue as like the second biggest record of his career is sort of like that's confounding in itself that like you, you think of the millions of people who have bought like in the 70s <laughs> bought Bitches Brew and were just like, I've heard of this hip new Miles Davis record and like got that record is like it's almost like a testament to how adventurous record buyers were in the 70s in a way mm-hmm. that like that record can sell millions of copies it's nuts so uh do you have a favorite record in this box i do i do um it's you know i'm going to say in a silent way okay i'm going to say in a silent way because i feel like that was that was the perfect sort of segue from where he was with the quintet, um, you know, where those records were sort of ambient. Um, they were more so classical or cla- like traditionally minded. I mean, classical in that sense. But then In a Silent Way was sort of this perfect bridge between Miles of Old and where Miles was headed. Because you could hear the vestiges of like, okay, he's going electric. You would hear a little bit of electric on there, but not a whole mm-hmm. heck of a lot. And so I also think that it works because it's still challenging music, but it's still a record that you can put on for somebody who's looking to get into Miles Electric and they mm-hmm. can know what's happening. Like it, it's it's ambient music that doesn't fade into the background too much. Yeah. And it's not a record like On the Corner where you're really throwing them in the deep end. Right, like right, right away from the first note. Yeah, from like track one, yeah. one second, you're like, oh, we're right in the middle of the song. Yeah, okay. we're not like throwing you into the deep end. We're having you come in on the shallow end and work your way in on in a yep. silent way. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so my last question: You've been doing a lot of these things for the New York Times, where it's like one minute to recommend, you know, a jazz thing, and they just did the Electric Miles list. Yep. But like for you, is there a minute that you can think of, or I guess five minutes is the the thing, uh, minutes that would make you recommend Electric Miles or that you think people need to listen to? Heck yeah, man. The beginning of Bitches Brew. The yeah. beginning, before the song starts, I find myself going back to that part over and over. For what, I don't even, I can't even fully explain, but it's just the way that it's sort of building up. It, it To me, it sounds like, nighttime in new york right it sounds like uh you know the steam coming up from the potholes and you know the manhole covers and all that stuff 
and you can see them sort of trying to coalesce the song, but then they're also breaking it down at the same time. And then you also get that crazy like drum hit every so mm-hmm. often. So yeah, I would say of those twenty some odd minutes of that song, <laughs> right. you know, just go go no go to that part right at the beginning, and then scroll ahead to about the fifteen minute mark when they do it again, uh-huh. and that that adds up to about five minutes total. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Yeah, thanks. That's all I really need. Like, I just wanted to quick talk to you about the box and yeah, chat chat about it. So, thank you so much for for coming on and doing the. Podcast. Okay. Hey, yeah. man. No, no, no problem at all. It's good seeing you again. Yeah, good seeing you too, man. Good luck with the book. We'll talk. All right, sir. All right, man. Talk to you later. All right. So, friends, that's it. That's where this season of the VMP Anthology podcast unplugs, disembarks, whatever whatever verb denoting a finish is that you'd like to use. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed this season. I know it's a little bit different than what we have done in the past, but I just did not want this to become a situation where I tried to dictate to you what to take out of these records. I just think it is too difficult. And I think the thing that was so fun about this, you know, somebody who's very familiar with this period of Miles and has thought about Miles a lot, what was so fun about this box and getting it was just having that open feeling of of discovery, of of not having anybody tell you what to pay attention to directly and be like, this is why this is important. And like have that overarching, uh, you know, I guess authority. I just... I wanted to embrace not knowing and just talking to people who are not the people that maybe this podcast could have had, you know, some jazz like experts or historians who could have given you like, you know, 45 minute, you know, dissertations on on the bass sound on Jack Johnson. I just did not think that that would work. Maybe I was wrong, but, you know, I guess let me know on the discord or on on social media hit me up if you really hated this season, but I I hope you really got a lot out of just hearing other people talk about what they get out of Miles Davis music. And, you know, you, you maybe heard these sections that they like, uh, you heard them differently because they, they brought them up as things to pay attention to. So, uh, you know, and speaking of the discord, uh, we will be having a discord Q and a about this box fairly soon. Uh, which will then be turned into the final, final episode, the fourth episode of this uh, season of the podcast. But if you're listening to this before the fourth episode posts, get yourself to the VMP Discord there, and I will answer literally any question you have about this box, how I feel about Electric Miles, what do I think about the impact of Betty Davis on this box, anything, literally anything you want to know, I will be there to answer. Go to our Discord to get the details. So I think that does it for us. It was great to to be here with you talking about this VMP anthology. I hope you like it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for buying this box. You make having this job the best job in the world. 
and I will never take that for granted. All right, let's take that to the credits. This season of the VMP Anthology Podcast is hosted, written, and produced by Andrew Winnestorfer. It's produced and edited by Jim Hankey of the Vinyl Emergency Podcast. A special thanks to Marcus for letting us talk to him for this podcast. Keep an eye out on the New York Times for his series of what to listen to to love jazz artists. Thanks for buying the Miles Davis Anthology, and thanks for listening. And before we go, remember, listen to more The Man with the Horn. I bet you thought that was it, didn't you? You thought I would leave you hanging without a hint, without a single bread crumb. Please, sir, can I have some more hint for what's coming in VMP Anthology? Well, I am here on this final check-in for this Miles Davis podcast, here to bring you what's coming next in VMP Anthology. Of course, by now, you know, after Miles Davis, it's Waylon Jennings. We'll see you soon for that season of that podcast, Story of Waylon Jennings. If you don't have it, it's still available in the store. Go get that. After Waylon, you know, VMP Anthology 19 is the story of Impulse. We'll see you soon on that season of the podcast as well. That's looking like that'll ship maybe late December, early January. We'll see you then. However, VMP Anthology 20 is what brings me here right now for your hint. It is, in this, the 50th anniversary year of hip-hop. Our 20th VMP anthology is dedicated to hip-hop. But it's not just any hip-hop. It's hip-hop created within the city limits of one specific American city. I'm not going to tell you what that is, man. But... It's one city, all albums made by rappers from that city. First hip-hop anthology coming soon, maybe in late October. VMP Anthology 20 coming at you. That's it for now. See you all soon.